Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. You are watching the reenactment of the crime that rocked the world with laughter. It's a gazebo. It's a what? A gazebo. Well, what does it do? What does a gazebo do? Don't underestimate it. It can encourage romance. Oh, Elliot! (laughs) And a gazebo can even provoke murder. Something pretty kooky happened around here last night. What do you mean, kooky? You buried something under the gazebo. Speaking of murder, our hero is up to his ears in murder. A TV whodunit producer who believes his own plots. Little Nell is one of the bright lights of Broadway. Besides having the cutest gazebo in town. Uncontrollable something. Hello. Hi, darling. Who's your friend? This is Herman, the pigeon with a dual personality. There are times when you wonder who really is the pigeon. Mr. Shelby, I'm even trying to sell my home now. Wait a minute, I'm trying to sell my home. I can't do that overnight. I've just been looking at some pictures of your wife, Mr. Nash. Of course, maybe you'd like to have them published. I don't think it'd be good for a career. All I'd have to do right now is to let loose with one good scream. You know what would happen then? Yeah, the louse puts a slug in your head. <laughs> the underworld is on their tail. The cops are on their trail. Out of your I mind. Please, the Fifth Amendment. And I, I refuse to answer on the grounds it'll tend to incriminate me. Elliot, you can't do that. He's flipped. He's ripped his buttons. And the hottest corpse in crime history is on their hands. Man, that's real cool. I will not have him in my deep freeze. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Gazebo from 1959. The studio was MGM, the release date was December 16, 1959. The running time, 100 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars. An offbeat comedy involving murder, and a backyard gazebo that covers up the crime. Character actors John McGyver and Doro Moran wrap this up, but the stars are competent. Now, this is one I saw in Turner Classic Movies, and I just loved it. First, I'm a big fan of Glenn Ford and Debbie Reynolds, and you get Carl Reiner in a supporting role. The movie is full of twists and is darker than most comedies that came out in the 1950s. All right, let's get into the main cast. So, Glenn Ford plays Elliot Nash. Now, the first time I saw Ford on screen, it was in the Christopher Reeve Superman movie from 1978, where he played Pa Kent, or Jonathan Kent, as he was in the film. Ford's career started in the late 1930s in bit roles through the mid-1940s. That is until he hit it big in 1946, starring in the film noir Gilda with Rita Hayworth. 
After Gilda, he was definitely considered an A-list actor. His best-known films up until the gazebo included The Big Heat, The Black War Jungle with a young Sidney Poitier, Interrupted Melody, The Fastest Gun Alive, 310 to Yuma, among many others. Ford could do any sort of film, whether it be comedies, dramas, westerns, pretty much anything. He was a terrific actor and always enjoyable to watch. Now, equally enjoyable was Debbie Reynolds playing Nell Nash. Now, I covered Reynolds' career in the Mother episode, which came out in 1996, the film, not my episode. And it was a film that she made much later in her career with Albert Brooks. Now, by the time the gazebo came out, Reynolds was already a superstar like Gwen Ford, and she was married to Eddie Fisher. Of course, they were the parents of future actress Carrie Fisher. Carl Reiner plays Harlow Edison, and this was still very early on in Reiner's career. He still had not yet teamed up with Mel Brooks as a comedy duo. That would come next year for their appearance on The Steve Allen Show. They would go on to do the hilarious 2,000-year-old man routines. Check them out. You can get their comedy albums, or you can just look on YouTube. And not long after teaming up with Mel Brooks, he would go on to have a part on the classic TV sitcom The Dick Van Dyke Show. The director, George Marshall. Now, Marshall had been in the business for a very long time by 1959. His career started directing short, silent films in 1916, and then he would go on to direct Laurel and Hardy in the 1930s. His best-known films prior to the gazebo were Destry Rides Again with Marlene Dietrich and James Stewart, The Blue Dahlia with Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake, The Ghostbreakers with Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard, and The Sheepmen with Glenn Ford and Shirley MacLaine. All right, let's get into the film. So the opening credits have a fun little cartoon of a bird, which will be featured prominently in the plot. Now, as upbeat and fluffy <laughs> as the opening credits are, the tone quickly changes to almost film noir, as we see a figure in a darkened room take out a gun out of a desk drawer. He sits in a chair, and then gets a knock on his door. A man walks through the door into the room without saying a word, and then he is shot by the man in the chair. A car then comes speeding up, and the shooter attempts to escape through the back door, and we then discover that we're watching the filming of a scene on a TV show set. We then cut to the control room where director Elliot Nash, played by Glenn Ford, is exasperated that the actor tripped and fell when trying to escape. Nothing is going right on set for Elliot as he yells at the crew. However, this is par for the course when directing live television programs as so often occurred during the early days of television. The show runs about 30 seconds over, so they cut out the credits and go straight to the final card. Elliot is exhausted after the show. He's also being treated by a doctor for high blood pressure due to the stress of writing and directing the show by himself. He's also trying to get an advance of cash for a potential script he's going to write for an upcoming Alfred Hitchcock movie. His agent can't figure out why Elliot is working himself to death for an extra payday because the television show already pays a great salary. Well, we soon discover Elliot has been paying off a man named Mr. Shelby blackmail money as Elliot gets a phone call from Shelby as he's about to leave the studio. We don't know what Elliot is being blackmailed for yet, but he's a nervous wreck. While getting a cab ride home, the driver accidentally runs over a pigeon. Elliot is disturbed by this and during the traffic stop, goes back and picks up the wounded bird from the city street. Luckily, the bird isn't badly injured, but more of in a state of shock. Across town, Elliot's wife Nell, played by Debbie Reynolds, is performing a musical number for the Broadway show she's in. Elliot visits her at the theater, pigeon in hand. Why do I feel like a feather? 
Why do I sing in a crowd? Why when it's clear, lovely weather? Why is my head in a cloud? It's that uncontrollable something Makes a tiger coo like a dove That uncontrollable something Called love, love Why when we're cuddling closer? Why do I try to resist? Like this? Why when I'm telling you no, sir? Like this? Why do I help you insist? Wow! It's that undeniable something Makes the moonlight fit like a glove That undefinable something Called love Love, 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 love Nell is beautiful and talented and adores her husband, but she notices that Elliot is a nervous wreck and she doesn't understand why. The couple go home and get a visitor from their friend and neighbor Harlow, played by Carl Reiner. He's also a prosecuting lawyer. It's that uncontrollable something makes the moonlight... Harlow. A little late, aren't you? Where you been? Oh, hi. Hello, what are you doing here? Oh, just passing by. Thought you might like to play a little game of cards. Oh, you did? Well, thank you very much. No, I don't feel like cards tonight, Harlow. No. How's our little Nell? Oh, I'm just... Well, if you'll excuse me. Oh, Elliot, why don't you fix Harlow a drink before he goes? Oh, Harlow doesn't want a drink. It's almost one o'clock. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love one. Good night, Harlow. Good night, little Nell. Good night. Good night. Good hey, what are you playing? Spin the ball you just did there. You know, you know, the great mistake of my life was introducing you to this character. How do you put up with him? Well, I, I managed. Oh, Elliot, now, don't be too long. You need your rest. Yeah. Want a short one, huh? No, 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 fill her up. Lots of soda. Say, anyone ever tell you you're a very lucky guy? Yeah, yeah, you did. At least 90 times. 
Carla, why don't you get yourself a wife of your own, then you'll have some place to go nights. Oh, I'm not lonely. But in case you decide to become a bachelor again, I don't want you to worry about a thing. Nell knows where she can turn. Well, I've spoken like a true friend. Suppose we drink a toast to good fellowship, then you can go home, huh, Harlow? Oh, fine. I always thought theatrical people had a sense of humor. Oh, by the way, I caught your show tonight. Oh, say there now. Oh, pretty bad, huh? No, except for a few glaring mistakes in criminology, you TV boys don't seem to appreciate the fine points of homicide, if you don't mind my saying so. Oh, no, no, not at all. Oh, we learned a long time ago it's just about impossible to please lawyers. Especially when they're district attorneys. <laughs> Seriously, though, your murderer committed some real boo-boos. If my office was prosecuting, I'd have him in the electric chair before the first commercial. Yeah, come on, drink up, Otto. Let's go, drink well, up. Well, look at it, look at it. Yeah. Here you have an intelligent murderer committing the so-called perfect crime. Mm -hmm. How does he go about it? He takes the thirty-eight and plunks the victim right in the stomach. Elliot. That's pretty messy, huh? Messy and not even always fatal. Here or here, never the midsection. Yeah, I, I'll make a note of that. On top of that, where does the body fall? On the nice, clean carpet. What did your murderer intend to do with the blood stain on the rug? Harlow, <coughs> it was only a TV show. Nobody was murdered, only an actor. Just trying to be helpful. Maybe you ought to consult me before you write one of these things. I could give you a lot of pointers. Hey, maybe you can, Harlow. You know, as a matter of... Hey, do you mind if I pick your legal brain for just a minute? What's a friend for? Shoot. All right. Uh, well, there's this script. Now, it's about this man. We'll call him, uh... Oh, Mr. X. Now, he's in New York for this convention. He's going to make a speech there, you know, and he's up in his hotel suite uh, dictating the speech to the uh, hotel stenographer. But she's a very refined type, though. You know, if I were casting her, I'd probably, oh, choose a pretty schoolteacher type. Schoolteacher? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, after the uh, dictation's over, you know, and the stenographer's about to leave, uh, she's just about going out the door when she looks up at Mr. X and she gives him one of those kind of, uh, you know, kind of a, well, provocative, you know, smile. And hands him a card and says, now, look, uh, if there's anything more I can do for you, you just, uh, why don't you give me a ring? Because, you see, after six o'clock, then I work for myself. You, you follow me? I think I'm ahead of you. So Elliot continues his story. Basically, the woman in the story is half naked, and two photographers come into the hotel room and take photographs of her with the man that invited her up. The blackmailers tell the guy that for a lot of cash, they'll keep the photos out of the tabloids. Elliot then asks Harlow if the police would help the victims of the blackmailers to prevent the pictures from ever getting released. Harlow says they usually try, but it's never a guarantee. Elliot asks what a person in this situation should do. Harlow says there are three alternatives. One, keep shelling out the money. Two, go to the police. Three, find some way of knocking the blackmailer off. Harlow, of course, thinks this is all a plot for Elliot's TV show. Elliot keeps trying to convince Nell to sell their house and move out of the suburbs and back to the city. She thinks he's crazy and just won't consider it. Elliot is simply trying to raise enough cash to pay off the blackmailers. He can get $50,000 for the house, according to his realtor. 
So Elliot tries to sabotage the house to make it seem like it's falling apart. He clogs the plumbing, messes with the electricity, unscrews the fixtures, breaks the appliances, anything possible to get Nell so sick of the house that she'll sell it. While Nell deals with the house falling apart, Elliot gets another phone call from Shelby the blackmailer and we discover what Elliot is being blackmailed for. Shelby has racy photos of Nell when she was younger, similar to the example Elliot told Harlow. Elliot knows if these photos were published, it would ruin Nell's theater career just as it's getting started. It could also affect his career as well. Shelby wants his next payment in a few days. In the meantime, Nell is delighted that a gazebo that she purchased at an auction has been delivered. Nell wanted to surprise Elliot with the gazebo, thinking that he could write outside in the yard. But it's yet another expense that Elliot has to worry about. But he can't say no to Nell and hires a contractor named Sam Thorpe, played by John McIver, in order to install the gazebo, concrete and all. Harlow stops by during the gazebo construction and wisecracks that it looks like a monument in a cemetery. A light bulb then goes off for Elliot, and he questions the contractor about the cement laying process, like how long it would take to harden. According to Sam, once the gazebo is placed on the concrete, it will stand for over a hundred years. Now the wheels really continue to turn in Elliot's mind. Elliot calls Shelby and tells him that he has his money, but he has to pick it up at Elliot's home. We then get a montage of Elliot preparing for his meeting with Shelby by purchasing a shovel, a large tarp, rubber hip boots used for fishing, and a hard hat with a light attached to it. Nell will be home a bit later than usual as she has an interview after her show at the theater. Nell leaves for the day, and Elliot calls Shelby with instructions about when to come to the house. Elliot also states that this will be the last payment, and he wants all the pictures and negatives. Shelby agrees. When Nell gets to the theater, she meets Haro, whom she called to meet her and to have a chat. Nell is worried about Elliot, as she knows that he's purposely sabotaging the house and is confused about the recent purchases he's made. Haro says not to worry that Elliot is probably just preparing for a script. Nell isn't so sure, but thanks Harwell for listening, and they go their separate ways. In the meantime, Elliot prepares the house for the Shelby visit. He has a checklist of items to do. First, take a tranquilizer to calm his nerves. <laughs> he ends up taking two. Number two, keep the front door ajar. Number three, check the gun to make sure it's loaded. Now that part is hilarious, as Elliot is frightened by his housekeeper, who has a habit of talking extremely loud and tells him good night <laughs> to his horror. <laughs> She doesn't see the gun, though. Number four, keep calm, which is easier said than done. Number five, lay out the plastic tarp and rope perfectly so that after Shelby gets shot, he'll land on the tarp. Then, while getting the shovel and the hard hat ready, there's a tapping at the door. Elliot thinks it's Shelby, but it's really Herman, his now pet pigeon that he adopted when it was hit by the taxi earlier in the film. Elliot then digs a hole where the gazebo is going to be placed. Elliot then waits in the house, nervously in the dark. A man knocks at the door and enters without saying a word. Elliot is shaking, but he still manages to fire the gun and hit the man. The man stumbles around a bit before collapsing, which is really funny to watch as Elliot is kind of willfully guiding him to not leave the house you know, as he sits in his chair. Now, for whatever reason, Elliot doesn't look in the man's bag, which presumably has the photos and negatives of his wife in them. He instead places the bag next to the body on the tarp. Hilariously, when Elliot tries to wrap the body in the tarp, it tears apart with these very loud rips. <laughs> Panicked, Elliot grabs shower curtains to use them to wrap the body. In the meantime, another person is lurking outside of Elliot's house unbeknownst to him. While tying up the body, Elliot then sees a flashlight in the yard. It's Sam Thorpe, the contractor. 
Elliot hurriedly takes off all his burying gear and goes to meet Sam before he enters the house. Elliot wants to check the foundation for the gazebo as he discovered a big hole there. Of course, it was Elliot who dug the hole, but Sam thought it was his workers and then filled the hole. To further complicate things, Miss Chandler, played by Mabel Albertson, is the realtor, and she shows up to the house to show the home to a potential buyer. Elliot says, not tonight, and gets him to leave, but it's a comedy of errors because he has a tough time getting back into the house because he's broken all the doorknobs on purpose due to his initial sabotaging of the home for Nell. <laughs> Elliot then gets a long-distance phone call through all of this madness from none other than Alfred Hitchcock, who wants to discuss Elliot's latest screenplay. It's a one-way conversation. We never actually see or hear the real Hitchcock, but the scene is hilarious as Elliot asks advice, theoretically, of course, about how to get rid of a body in the same predicament he's currently in. Well, how do you get rid of a body without a shovel? Hitchcock asks if Elliot has a fireplace. Elliot says yes and grabs the mini shovel that comes with the fireplace set. We then cut to the next day and we see Sam Thorpe and his workers placing the gazebo over the foundation and presumably over the body of the blackmailer Shelby. Now Elliot is in a terrific mood, which is a change from the past few weeks. He's even drinking champagne with Nell and Harlow. However, the mood quickly changes when a rainstorm begins soon after placing the gazebo down and the three of them move inside the house. Out of the blue, Harlow brings up the name of Dan Shelby, which catches Elliot off guard. Harlow says that Shelby used to be in cahoots with a photographer that specializes in pictures for nudie magazines. As it turns out, Shelby and the photographer had a number of compromising photos of up-and-coming actresses and using them to blackmail their families. Elliot asks Harlow what that has to do with them. And then Nell calmly admits that she was one of the girls who was tricked into posing for quote-unquote art photos when she was 18 and she was told they would be used by professional artists, not sleazy blackmailers. Nell apologizes to Elliot, though he's not even the slightest bit upset with her, he seems more relieved than anything. Harlow is surprised that Shelby never contacted Nell to blackmail her. Nell then divulges that Shelby did a few weeks prior, asking for $10,000 in cash or he'd publish the photos. She laughed in his face and told him that she wouldn't pay him a dime. Harlow then says, well, her name would have been involved in a scandal. Nell laughs and says that's true, but it would all have been free publicity for her show and the crowds would have been enormous to see what all the fuss was about. You couldn't buy that type of publicity. She dared him to publish them. Then Harlow drops the real bombshell. As it turns out, Shelby was murdered the night before by one shot to the heart in his own bed. Yep, Elliot killed the wrong guy. <laughs> All right, there's about 45 minutes left in the film, and if you're not intrigued enough to see the rest of the film and find out who's, who's really buried under the gazebo, I don't know what to tell you. The rest of the film is hilarious, and it's terrific with some great plot twists and very ahead of its time for this type of dark comedy, you know, made in 1959. It's very much in the vein of Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry. All right, we have our special guest, Samantha, who loves her classic films. She hadn't seen this up to this point, and... She did, because I asked her if she would watch it, and she liked it, and so we're going to talk about it, but I will warn you, there are spoilers, so if you want to watch the movie, you don't want to find out what potentially happened, I would say, pause this, watch the movie first, and then come back and listen to our little discussion, and then I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hello. 
Okay, so yet another movie that you have... Well, we we will get into it. I think you kind of partly saw it when we were at work a few years ago. Uh, but I don't think you yeah, remember Yeah, we were all. talking about that. And it's the gazebo yeah. from 1959. Uh, so yeah, so like when you started watching it, did, did it all come back or did only parts of it come back? Not really. Um, I Yeah, like I think I vaguely watched part of it, but mm-hmm. I've never seen the whole thing um beginning to end so it was a new experience well what was funny is um we used to have those movie fridays um when we had a tv by us that god probably about four years ago now (laughs) so yeah (laughs) um, that used to be a lot of fun because every the one thing we could all agree on is we all love turner classic movies and this was one and i i enjoyed what i saw of it and so then i went out and either i recorded or i just bought it and i loved it because i really liked the dark dark humor in it um, yeah. So how did you feel about the plot and how did you feel about the actors? Okay. So like generally I, I liked this movie, um, but it has the, one of the character tropes that really grates on me. Oh really? What is that? <laughs> and it's when people just make really dumb decisions (laughs) well yeah that is kind of this movie like over and over and over again um it makes me like just it gets me all worked up because i'm i'm like just you know dial it back take a step like take a step back but of course that's the whole kind of basis behind um what happens that's right um but I think that's kind of what makes it funny, though, is like, you know, as the viewer, you're just completely frustrated with, yeah, Glenn Ford's character. He's a mess. That, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. So did did Elliot, that's, that's Glenn Ford, did he super annoy you? Oh, so, so much. Just from the beginning when I, like the first scene of him is when he's in the film studio and they're taping the show Yes, and he's sitting there at his desk, like sweating. He's a, <laughs> like a manic, just complete disaster. And I like, Oh no, is he going to be like this the whole time? <laughs> and yeah, it was just kind of spiraled from there really. So I, I take it you had to like um, Debbie Reynolds though. Cause she is great in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, she was so charming. And yeah. I think she was a good foil to his character. Yeah. Um, she definitely had a good head on her shoulders um, and kind of, you know, laughed off a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, that was a good role for her. So the fun part was this is kind of racy for back then because the whole premise is that supposedly there yes. were nude photographs of her out there. And then, and then nudies. Um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and Glenn Ford is being blackmailed because, you know, he doesn't want this to get out at all. So, uh-huh. so that was kind of a, a fun premise in that that aspect, especially for 1959. Yeah. And I think, you know, from um, I don't I haven't seen in all of Debbie Reynolds movies, but mm-hmm. I feel like too, since she kind of was a very um, light and kind of, she seemed like, you know, more of a G rated actress. Totally. So I think Singing in the rain. Her, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like having her, um, having that kind of story associated with her. Yeah. It was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. I thought there would be more Carl Reiner in it. Um, who plays his, his friend, but uh, I was still happy he was in it. Yeah, yeah, he was interesting. I kind of thought that he might get involved um, in, because I knew there was going to be some sort of 
murder. Someone was getting buried under the gazebo. Like That's I read right. the the little plot synopsis. Yeah. Um, but I so I kind of thought maybe he would be involved because he always stops in at night, mm-hmm. kind of unexpectedly. And even when um, they Elliot shot that man who came in, I thought for a second that oh maybe he shot his friend by mistake, right? Because um, he often you know popped up, but. Um, yeah, I think he just kind of played more of the that lawyer perspective, um, which still had a had a purpose. Well, and correct, he he, he kind of had a flame for for Debbie Reynolds too in the movie, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and that was kind <laughs> I of a trope. Think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's always a trope. It's always that friend that kind of hangs around, hoping that uh-huh. the husband makes a mistake. So, uh huh, yeah, and then I think he kind of was suspicious of what he was doing, and then when he had asked about, you know, hypothetically, yeah, right. <laughs> um, what if there was a man and he, you know, called this, his, uh, you know, the woman came in and, mm-hmm. you know, was helping him write or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, he, maybe he thought that, Oh, hmm, maybe he's cheating or doing something on right. the side. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I thought there were a lot of clever ways. I think the plot, kind of went and it could have gone in other directions. So it definitely kept me like on my feet in that way. So that brings, that leads me to the next thing. So what did you like about the film and what would you have changed? What did I like? So I do, I do like a murder plot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like (laughs) the kind of the, the issues around that. Like it was definitely a dark comedy take. Right. Um, And, it was a very light, you know, a light story, blackmail and all of that. And I did find it funny how Glenn Ford had to, you know, he prepped ahead of time. Exactly. And he got the tarp and, you know, made sure to talk to the contractor. And like he thought he kind of had it all taken care of. Um, and then, of course, that all exploded. Um And then I did like, too, how kind of the bad guys came in at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what did I not like? I think, you know, I already touched on, he was a little too over the top for me. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it worked. And then I think too, the ending was, it felt a little rushed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way. Um, like it was kind of conveniently wrapped up. And I wonder if this had anything to do with how I think this was adapted from a play. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then it had had to be drawn out into a movie. Um, so yeah, the ending felt a little convenient, like, you know, magically these two guys pop up mm-hmm. and they kind of get involved and then, Oh, look, you know, spoiler alert, but um you know, the bad guy actually had a heart attack and he wasn't shot. Right. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and then they, you know, kind of, they throw in all this like legal jargon. So yeah, I thought the ending did feel a little, a little rushed, um, but it, it made sense. Cause right. He had to get off in the end. Yeah. You would so. hope. I mean, that would have actually been an interesting twist if they didn't do that. So yeah, I know. <laughs> so curious about Glenn Ford's character. Did you, did you find it he at the end he had some redeeming values? Like, did you kind of let him off the hook towards the end, or were you still annoyed with him? 
I kind of put my, I don't know, like I put myself into like Debbie Reynolds shoes. Sure, sure. I was like, what what would I do Mm -hmm. in this situation? Um, Or like, what would anyone do? And yeah, I think they would, you know, they definitely need a little bit of, he needs to go to therapy at least. Yeah, (laughs) to chill out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess he's got a high stress job because he's a, he's a television producer, writer, director, whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, figure out why, like, he could have talked to her about the whole thing. Like, she already knew she was happy if her photos were released. It would have given her more publicity. So, That's right. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would have, um, yeah, let him off so easy at the end. But they, well, yeah, they I, were going to kind of just continue on. <laughs> I was kind of like with you. I was thinking, I kept watching, I'm thinking, and I wasn't th- in anybody's perspective, but I was like, well, who cares if they get out? What's the worst that's going to happen? And I guess, well, it's 1959, so it could be scandalous or maybe not. But it's like, I guess the worst thing with the blackmailers is you kind of go along with it. If you just say, ah, who cares? What are you going to do? Usually, I would assume it kind of just goes away and they'll move on to somebody else, but I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, maybe he thought it would eventually, you know, get to his career right right too, um not just hers and um because they were both in the entertainment business um yeah so i mean blackmail blackmail's a tricky <laughs> a tricky yeah. subject you, i know you like hitchcock did you ever see the trouble with harry no i haven't okay no. so that's a, i wouldn't call it a similar plot but there is a dead body involved and they keep trying okay. to bury it and so in that in that aspect it is kind of similar so i'd be curious if you like that film maybe more because it's got that Hitchcock wit in it. Okay. I I did love like the Hitchcock call out though. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, right. Because they're working on he, um, a script or something. Yes. Um, and he calls and mentions, so do you have a fireplace? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's a little bit more of a Hitchcock um, angle. He would have, oh, totally. he would have been a much better, um, he would have covered it up better, I think. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. So fine. So would you watch this again, or would you recommend this, or would you be like, okay, just watch this because Debbie Reynolds is great in it? Yeah, I would say I think definitely you have to like. Um, I well, this isn't quite like slapstick, but you have mm-hmm. to kind of like the. Um, I don't know exactly what to call him. He's not like a buffoon, but. <laughs> He's almost that, like yeah, the, the old I, screwball comedies. Yeah, yeah. Just you have to like and not get that secondhand frustration sure. from people making like horrible decisions. Um, <laughs> so definitely, yes, it's a light. It's a light watch. I did think the plot was creative, and all of the actors were fun to watch. So right. I think they did a great job with the leads, and then also the more minor characters. Um, like their their housekeeper or maid mm-hmm. was quirky and all the people they would run into were um, fun. So yeah, I thought, yeah, the cast was good um, and it was entertaining, but I just kind of had to pr- stop myself from like groaning. A few sure. times. <laughs> no, and that's fair because I think there, you, you bring up a great point because there, there are times when actors act a certain way uh, or their character acts a certain way, and you can't, and you can never recover from it. And so that that's yeah. vital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still, yeah, I think it it was a it was a fun movie, and it was something different. I think for mm-hmm. being 1959, 
um, it really kind of towed the line between kind of like that sweet, sweet comedy couple type of thing, like in their cute house. And then it just kind of threw in this um, <laughs> murder, <laughs> murder, murder. Yeah. And, and it was kind of taken the murder even wasn't even that serious. Like the point of him setting up for it was like, I didn't even think he would go through with it. And then no. he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That the was the fun part afterward. <laughs> yeah. That was the fun part. Like the whole preparation. Cause he's just, he can't get anything right. And what's interesting yeah. is I don't know if you've seen other Glenn Ford movies, but it's really the, he's not playing to type in this one. Cause usually he's like kind of the suave leading man or he's in a film noir yeah. or he's in a Western, but this is, completely mm-hmm. unlike him yeah 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 so i think too maybe i wasn't expecting him to go that far mm-hmm. um it's just how out of out of control he was yeah no totally yeah. like you would almost and expect then, like a yeah. jerry lewis type of character uh-huh did. yeah 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 so it was it was a it was a treat. Okay. I'll say. <laughs> well, I always appreciate you watching movies that you haven't seen. And so, or at least not seen fully. So yeah, thank you for doing this. Oh, sure. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on thatmetalstation.com. <laughs>